Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's A Trophy Life podcast. I'm your host, Bob Rathman, and in this week's edition, we'll get the latest from ESPN's Debbie Antonelli on women's basketball, plus this week's news and notes, a did you know, and a look ahead to some of the key games this weekend. This week's A Trophy Life is brought to you by the Atlanta Hawks, which remains committed to making Atlantans proud on the court and off, where the organization has built a culture of inclusion, diversity, and innovation, all with a touch of Southern hospitality. To secure your Atlanta Hawks membership, which includes your seat to every home game this season, visit hawks.com membership or call 866-715-1500. And don't forget to follow the team on Twitter and Instagram at ATL Hawks. Now for this week's news and notes presented by Citizen. This will be a very special week as we are presenting watches to former winners Elton Brand and Trey Burke when the Philadelphia 76ers play the Hawks in Atlanta. It's part of the ongoing recognition program where we honor former winners with a commemorative watch courtesy of Citizen. Friends, I've been on hand to see several of these presentations and each recipient is moved when that watch is presented. Elton Brand is currently the general manager of the 76ers. He played just two seasons at Duke, but wow, did he ever make them count as his career culminated with the Citizen Naismith Player of the Year honors in 1999 as a sophomore. At 6'7", he powered Duke in every way that season to its best record in program history, an ACC regular season and tournament title, and a postseason run that saw the team advance to the NCAA title game where the Blue Devils were upset by UConn. In 2013, Michigan's stellar point guard Trey Berg dominated college basketball and capped a brilliant postseason run, taking the Wolverines all the way to the NCAA title game against Louisville. He finished the regular season at 19.2 points per game and led the Big Ten with 6.7 assists per game. Congratulations again to both Elton and Trey, and follow the Naismith Trophy on social media to see pictures of the presentations. This week, some Super College basketball matchups as we wait for Super Bowl Sunday. On the women's side, Oregon plays at UConn on Monday the 3rd. Of course, a possible Final Four matchup there. On the men's side, on Saturday, number 13 Kentucky travels down to number 17 Auburn. The Tigers had to go double overtime to take down Ole Miss and Oxford on Tuesday night after trailing by as many as 19 in the second half. Super Sunday in the Big Ten, we have number 19 Illinois at number 18 Iowa, and Patrick Ewing returns to Madison Square Garden with his Georgetown Hoyas as they face St. John's. Also, this reminder, our next news announcement will be coming up on Tuesday, the 4th, when we will announce the semifinalists for the Jersey Mike's Naismith High School Girls Player of the Year trophy. The boys' semifinalists will be announced on February the 6th. Here's this week's Naismith Did You Know, speaking of Patrick Ewing. Since the award's inception in 1969, 19 Citizen Naismith Trophy winners have gone on to be selected as the number one pick in the NBA draft. That was the case with Ewing, the 1985 winner going to the New York Knicks, and the aforementioned Elton Brand, 1999 by the Chicago Bulls. Now to this week's interview with the nation's foremost authority on women's college basketball. You see her on ESPN, the SEC Network, the ACC Network, and just about anywhere there's a women's basketball game being televised. Here's my interview this week with Debbie Antonelli. 
always a delight to speak with my dear friend Debbie Antonelli. How are you doing, Deb? Hey, Bob. It's great to be uh, with you. Thank you so much for for spending time with me. I'm excited about spending time with you. Well, we have to begin with congratulations. We got the word last week that you are the newest member of the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame. That is outstanding. Congratulations. Well, thank you so much. I, I can't even begin to tell you how exciting it is for me and my family, my boys, my husband, especially my parents. It's a very humbling and uh, grateful reflection, that's for sure. And it doesn't seem like I'm old enough to be in a Hall of Fame, but uh, <laughs> I'm very excited about the class and uh, thrilled that they would include me. Well, many may not know that you are a native North Carolinian. Uh, you were born and raised in Cary in the, uh, in the shadows of North Carolina State University. And I want you to take us back uh, to when you were in high school and, and thinking about going to play for K. Yao at NC State. Now, at that time, you know, NC State was building a women's basketball power. They were transitioning from AIW to the NCAA. Was your heart always set on going to NC State? When I was in middle school, I used to go to the games and sit on the railing right across from the bench on that first row. I even would draw signs to take to the game, you know, cheering for Kay and Faye Young, who were my favorite players then. Um, I wanted to be good enough to play, but I didn't even know until that point that there was this thing called a scholarship and that you could actually go to college and play basketball as a young girl. And that's when I decided to set my mind on trying to make myself the best player that I could be and so good enough that Coach Al would want me. And I went to her camps every summer. Uh, I worked really hard. I tried to make good good choices. I, I worked extremely hard on, on conditioning and weightlifting and just my skill set because I was a shooter, and I could still shoot it, but I was a shooter back then. And uh, <laughs> I, was, I hoped that she would think that my, my game was good enough to, that she would select me, and it was – incredible to have a, a chance to play for her who was somebody that I uh, respected and, and helped mold my life as a, a middle schooler to a high schooler going through the recruiting process to playing for her and then you know my, my life now as a mom and a wife and raising three boys. Little did you know what an impact on your life that decision was going to make. I had no idea to have the foresight that um you know, I knew Coach Al was a great person. I knew she was a great coach. I didn't realize how well-respected she was amongst her peers. Uh, you know, I was there uh, and graduated right before she coached the Olympic team. So that at that point is when you started to realize that you were in the presence of something and some at a special time. Um, and when you start to become mature enough to realize all the, the lessons that she tried to teach us uh, and how they apply to everyday life. We were so lucky as young women to have that experience for her and there will probably be um, about 150 of us that played for her over her 34 years at NC State, and we all feel the same way about her. We love her, we miss her, and we're all thankful that we had the chance to play for her. Yeah, it was a thrill to get to know her, uh, Debbie, as you can imagine, for me as a broadcaster and uh, just one of the great people in the history of our game. Uh, speaking of our game, uh, you're back after a whirlwind weekend where you called the Oregon-Oregon State game on Sunday. Uh, the passing of Kobe, uh, the game, uh, the whole atmosphere. Take us uh, back to Corvallis on Sunday and just relive for us what you observed and, and what you went through personally. 
Well, the game was two top seven teams, Oregon number four, Oregon State number seven in the country. And Oregon and Sabrina Ionescu had not won there in 10 years. So Sabrina, who is the leading candidate for player of the year, last year won the Wade and the Wooden, did not win the Naismith, though. That went to Megan Gustafson. Um, she is a special, unique player who's probably going to be the number one draft pick in the WNBA. And so she had never won in Corvallis. And Kelly Graves, the head coach, had never won there. And the seniors for Oregon State had never lost, and they were pretty good too. So the hype for the game, uh, I was in Eugene on the Friday before because there are travel partners in the Pac-12. They play back-to-back. So the atmosphere was sold out. It was incredible to be there Friday night, and it was exactly the same buzz and feel in the arena in Gill Coliseum in Corvallis on Sunday until about an hour and a half before the game. Uh, all of a sudden, the phone started to pop up, and we got word of the passing of Kobe. And so, you know, as a, a broadcaster and being in television, your whole game plan changes, and you have to react to the news that's at hand. That is so upsetting and so uh, devastating, and what a tragedy. And when we went on the air, we did not know that Gigi, his daughter, was involved in the crash at that time. So that that's just, um, you know, hard to put into words how tough that is. And Sabrina Ionescu, who um, is friends with Kobe, uh, on a weekly text with him, uh, she trained with him and spent time with him. He was invested in her game. He was a, a very good friend of hers. We didn't see her come out of the locker room to warm up. We didn't even see her until right before the national anthem. And when she came out of the locker room, you could see that she was devastated. Her teammates were as well. It was a very emotional time. Both teams came together during warm-ups initiated by one of the Oregon State players to huddle together and, and pray. And then when we had to come on the air, Bob, this is where I'm going to tell you these things and you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. I had to be a bridge and a connector for Coach Zhao in the latter stages of her life on all the broadcasts that we did that involved her while she was dying of cancer. I had to be on the broadcast of Lauren Hill, that incredible story of the young woman who had an inoperable brain tumor, and she her last wish was to play in an NCAA game, and the NCAA moved the schedule up ahead of the standard time so that they could play a game, and uh, that game was sold out, and that was an incredible environment that wasn't about basketball. It was about this young woman's wish to create some awareness and raise some money for this type of cancer. And so right before the game, I was reminded of those two experiences and why it was important for us to make sure that we kept it together, didn't be too emotional, and shared what would be an important message for people to know about what Kobe meant to the women's game. Because that was our chance to say what Kobe had done and what he had passed forward on the women's side, basically because he had four daughters and his daughter Gigi really loved the game. So we were fortunate that we had Kobe on our side, uh, on the women's side, that he was invested in, in helping our game grow. And so that's what I was thinking about. And it seemed like from the reaction of the crowd that many who showed up at the arena at that time still did not know the news. Is that true? Yes, that's true. We were shocked. Uh, you could hear a gasp in the arena when it was the moment of silence was was. Um, you know, was announced over the PA, and that was shocking too. Because then you you see in the stands reaction of people that 
they just you're hearing the news for the first time and it's it's troubling it's terrible it's heartbreaking you always feel like you know people that are superstars you feel like you know them personally because they let you you let they let you get to know them and kobe certainly did that well i was on a year as you were yesterday afternoon with the uh, pro game and uh, in atlanta the reaction was uh, as you can imagine we just didn't know what to say or what to do and we were told that Kobe went to three NBA games this season. And two of them were Hawks games, one in Los Angeles. And then we saw him just a couple of weeks ago in Brooklyn. And the reason he went uh, was for Gigi. She is a huge Trey Young fan and uh, wanted to see him play. And so you can imagine what we were going through with Trey, uh, trying to process this news uh, in a moment's notice, and then go out and play a game. So we, like you, were just trying to keep it all together and uh, a very emotional scene around the NBA, and I'm sure as it was for you guys out in Oregon. Well, it certainly was, and I'm sure Trey and players like Trey, players like Sabrina, you know, they, they grew up watching Kobe, and they idolized Kobe. And Kobe's Mamba mentality, you know, you hear people talking about it now. It wasn't just an attitude or a habit. It was a lifestyle. And players like Trey and like Sabrina live that. You can see it in the way they play and the way they go about their decision-making in their, in their regular lives. And it's, it's inspiring. And I, I'm, I know Sabrina at the end of the broadcast yesterday or, you know, on Sunday when we had the game said, uh, you know, she was going to dedicate the season to Kobe. And I believe she will, which means we're going to see a whole other level in her, which is going to be very exciting for us and we'll all know that she's doing it because of her experience having been mentored by Kobe. Well Debbie that leads us right into the Citizen Player of the Year watch and let's start with Sabrina. Uh, What makes her tick? What makes her so special? Well she's first of all she can make every shot make every play. She's on track to be the only player in the history of college basketball men or women to have 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, 1,000 assists over the weekend, she passed Gary Payton in the Pac-12 for the all-time assist leader, men or women. She just continues to stack up the records, Bob, and she's impressive. I mean, she's got size, incredible vision, m- mentally tough, uh, reads the floor and reads the game as well as any point guard, like a Sue Bird, has that kind of vision. And, and I think, you know, when I look at Sabrina, I say she has the, the vision of Sue Bird. She's got the mental toughness of Diana Taurasi. She has the mid-range jump shot of Simone Augustus, and she's got the competitiveness of Tamika Ketchings. She has all those qualities. She doesn't remind me of one player. She reminds me of those four in different parts of her game. Who are some of the other young ladies that you're keeping your eye on in the Player of the Year race? Well, out in the Big 12 and at Baylor is Lauren Cox. I mean, she won a national right. championship last year. She's really good. Um, she's one of the players that you need to keep your eye on. In the ACC, there's two right now that I think are starting to separate from the rest. Dana Evans is the point guard and the leading scorer for Louisville. Louisville is very talented. They've got 20 wins. And Dana has picked up where Asia Durr left off in some ways. It's been very impressive uh, what she's been able to do and how much she improved in the offseason prepared to take on this new role. At NC State, Elise Kunane, if you haven't seen her, Bob, she's 6'5". I'm not going to say she's Deladon-like because she's not quite that has the handle that, that Elena has, but she can shoot threes. She can play in the pick-and-pop game. She protects the rim. Uh, she's just a sophomore, and she continues to get better. I have 
given her uh, the nickname hashtag Big Smile because she plays the game with incredible enthusiasm and she always has a smile on her face. And then um, at UConn, Megan Walker has probably had one of the most improved seasons. She leads UConn with 19 points a game. I can't think you can discount any player from UConn having that kind of numbers. Ryan Howard at Kentucky leads the SEC in scoring. Um, she is a volume shooter, volume scorer, but puts up big-time numbers. She's already been over 40 points once and 30 a couple of times. Uh, so those are just a few players. I mean, I could go on and on down the list, um, but I think uh, out of the big – well, I didn't say anything about the Big Ten. In the Big Ten, Iowa has surprised us with um, the departure of Megan Gustafson from graduation, and Kathleen Doyle has turned out to be a, a really tough uh, key to their success. Kyla Charles at Maryland was the preseason pick for player of the year. She would be on the list. Um, so um, – I think those are a few players to keep your eye on. Um, but I'm really excited about some of the teams that we have because, you know, parity is supposed to mean equal. And equal would mean that we have a lot of teams that are similar. I think we have a lot of really good teams and not a dominant team. And so matchups and style of play will matter in the NCAA tournament. And that, I think, is so refreshing uh, for the women's game. Uh, you get to – you get to this point of the season, and usually you've got that elite group of two, three, maybe four teams that separate themselves, but that's not the case this year. You know, you and I have been in the game a long time, um, and you know, because you follow, you know, as as well as I do both sides, the men and the women, and on the college game, in spite of your very busy pro schedule, and it is, um, it's amazing to me how many good teams we have. What a great job some of the coaches have done in uh, putting their teams in a position to win and how exciting the game is right now because we have a lot of teams that can score. We have a lot of teams that are very well prepared and can adjust and change what they do on the fly. Um, And we have uh, in the power leagues, they're top heavy, but the power leagues are so good right now that you might have a team win the conference regular season, and it might be a different team winning the conference tournament, and it could be a different team that goes to the Final Four depending on seeding. And I can say that about the ACC, about the SEC, about the Big Ten, and certainly the Pac-12, which is right now the best league. You mentioned coaches. Of course, the Naismith Award has the Warner Ladder Naismith Coach of the Year. Uh, anybody really standing out this year that we should uh, – consider it here in mid-January? Well, it's hard to to choose from all those coaches in the Pac-12. They all have done such a fantastic job. But right now in the Pac-12, I'd probably say Kelly Graves was picked to win their league. They were picked to number one in the preseason. Um, They're starting to hit their stride. I think they're just starting to turn a corner, and they've gotten much better on the defensive end. So he would be somebody. Um, I think Adia Barnes at Arizona might be a sleeper. Uh, she swept Arizona State. Arizona State swept the Oregon schools, so Charlie Turner Thorne would be somebody that uh, you, on, 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 um, she swept the Oregon schools on a weekend where they were number three and number four, um, which has never happened that an unranked team has knocked off two top five teams in the history of our game. So Charlie Turner Thorne has to be on that list. Of course, Kim Mulkey of the Big 12 and Baylor. Uh, Dawn Staley mm-hmm. has done a remarkable job with her young freshman class. That is, she's integrated into the returners that she's had. And uh, I think she's done a phenomenal job. Also, I don't know if you'd count this on the college side, but just from a, a sidebar, 
you know, she is the national team coach, and she does have some responsibility with the national team while they're touring. But she's staying locked into her team right now. Uh, but she does have to, you know, balance the two, which is very challenging. Uh, Jeff Walls at Louisville and Wes Moore at NC State both have one loss. Both starting to separate from the rest of the ACC. I think Lisa Bluter would be a sleeper at Iowa. We expected Maryland to be the preseason pick, but Iowa has already knocked off several of the top teams in the Big Ten. And then uh, I got a couple of sleepers for you, Bob, that are really okay. Lisa Fortier at, at, at Gonzaga. Lisa Fortier is fantastic. She's done a great job. I've got them in the top ten. I think they're sneaky good and will be a really tough knockout in the NCAA tournament. And then Dawn Klitsu-White, she is the head coach at South Dakota. She has got. Uh, she's also in the top 25 and has been there for several weeks. Um, she's got a team that played a really good non-conference schedule, so they challenged some of the big guys. And uh, she's got a player named Sierra Duffy who is a 50-51-80 shooter right now, which is impressive. Wow. That is impressive. Well, the women's game is in good hands with all these great players and coaches, Debbie, that's for sure. It's hard to trim it down right now. You know, it's, it's January, so that would kind of be my mid-season list. I know we'll have to trim it down, but um, those are some people that I'm keeping my eye on. That's going to be great. What a tremendous tournament ahead for us all. Debbie, thank you. We will see you soon, but we really appreciate your time to bring us all up to date. Bob, thanks so much for asking, and uh, thanks so much for including me in all the stuff that the Naismith Trophy means and what it represents in our game. I'm really honored to be a part of all of it, so thank you for having me on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you, dear. Thanks, Debbie, and thank you for joining us for this week's edition of a Trophy Life podcast. Before you leave, make sure that you rate us, please. Five stars and leave a review. That would be outstanding. It helps us get the word out and allows more basketball fans to find us, and we thank you for that. So until next time, this is Bob Rathman saying so long, and thanks for downloading.